Well, it is exciting to be able to preach to you this morning and um, I hopefully encourage you for this new season and this um, new decade that we're in. And I actually am going to try and do two things. I want to just look back and uh, how many of you know that our lives are a continuous thing? That sounds obvious, but it's true. Uh, as we move forward, we are connected to the past. We are connected to what has gone already. I turned 56 this year, and it's not that my life is in isolation now. It's uh, the pr product of the last 56 years that has brought me to this point where I am right now. And it's the same in the life of, a, of our lives as Christians. It's the same in the life of a church. There's continuity, and God is building always upon what has come before. I love the fact that we sang, part of our worship this morning was the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And whenever we sing that song and declare those things, something inside of me really rises and uh, is encouraged deep in the foundation of my life. Why is that? Because we are being connected with what Christians have sung and declared for thousands of years. Our lives are in a continuum that is God has put in place for, for, from the beginning of time. You understand what I'm saying? And so as we're looking at the new decade this, this morning, the new year for us, and also for us as a church, we're celebrating 20 years, I want to kind of try and connect in what God has been saying to us for 20 years to what He wants to say to us now in the future. And this time of year is filled with new things, isn't it? Especially uh, true for us because it's a new decade at the beginning of this year as well. And uh, as I was reflecting on the last decade for my own life, I had to say that the last decade was probably summarized with two words, difficulty but reward. And our, the last 10 years of our life as a family have been difficult for us. We've had been through some serious issues with our son in terms of his health, but God's kindness and grace has ministered to us and we've come through and we are stronger for it. And so I would say it's been really rewarding at the same time as we've learned to trust God for our own lives at, at, at a deeper and deeper level. In the same way, we moved into this church building uh, 12 in 2008, and the, the five years after we moved into this building were really, really difficult. The credit crunch hit us. We had some issues in our leadership team, and we had to persevere for five years. And yet now the last seven years, God has restored and built, and the, the church is a whole different animal, and it's a wonderful, happy, joyful place to be. And I'm so grateful that, that God has seen us through, and He's been faithful. And so with that as a very brief background, I'd like to look towards the future. And uh, I'm sure that if you're anything like us, we, we've already planned our calendar. We've looked at the main events that we want to put into place for the year. We've considered all the options. And Andy is one of the first people that's going to come into the life of the church. We've tried to set some goals for our own lives personally, as well as for the church. And we've made resolutions for our own lives to bring some change and things that we need to um, put in place for this new year. And so I've made some resolutions for myself about health and about exercise and about uh, my own study and those kind of things so that I can carry on doing what I'm doing, hopefully until I'm much older and much grayer than I am right now. But there's also this thing that we can face as Christians that we are always looking for the new thing. 
Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't do new things, and Helen brought a prophetic, a wonderful prophetic word at the end of last year that we will explore together, that God is saying now He's doing a new thing. Well, what does He mean with, about that? But there can be a temptation for us as Christians to try and um, encourage growth in our lives, to always be looking for the new thing that is going to unlock growth for my life, all right, and um, help us in our faith. And so we might start a new devotional. We might go to some conference. We might read a new blog. We might start listening to other podcasts or take ourselves on a retreat, all in the hope of finding the one new thing that is going to help me grow this year. Now, I love reading. I am a reader. I love studying. And I'm always grateful for new resources and new books that um, can be beneficial and help me in my life. But I'm also convinced of this, and I want to try and convince you of this this morning, that actually, to grow in Christ-likeness, to become more and more like Jesus, we don't fundamentally need a new thing. We need a very old thing that's always been available to us and that we need to tap into. And so the title of my message this morning is An Old Path for a New Decade. And this is what I mean. When Jesus commissioned his church to make disciples, he gave some very simple instructions. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he said this, Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so the disciples, those early disciples, were to make new converts, new disciples, by preaching, by teaching, all that Jesus had commandment, commanded, and to live that out in their lives, and then to baptize people in his name. Very simple process that Jesus said we should follow. And so there's this extraordinary grace of God that's available to all through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's worked out in very ordinary ways, very ordinary, ordinary means to grow the church. And it's the same for us today. As we're looking to this new decade, as we're looking to this new century, I want to say to you again, to grow in Christ-likeness, we don't fundamentally need a new approach. We need an old one. So there is extraordinary grace available for us through ordinary means. And so what are these ordinary means that I want to just uh, refresh you in this morning as we look to the new, word, the new year? Well, they're very simple. And here they are in Acts 2.42. Do you know the scripture? It says this of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so according to the scripture, these primary means of God's grace in our lives are very simple. They are his word. They are the sacraments, breaking bread and baptism, and they are prayer. And since the first century, since the church was birthed, until now, God has been using those same means of grace to build His church, to grow His church, and those are very ordinary things that we must never get tired of rooting ourselves in and, and practicing. That's how God grows us and nourishes us spiritually. That's how we abide in Him, and He abides in us. It's how we know Him, and He knows us. It's how we grow, how we root ourselves in Christ, how we plant ourselves in family, how we are fruitful in our lives. Those three things, His Word, the sacraments, prayer, and fellowship, four things. 
And so while I love books and uh, books about the Bible are extraordinarily helpful and useful, they can't ever replace reading God's Word and hearing God's Word preached. And so my encouragement to you this morning at the beginning of this new year, the beginning of this new decade, is read God's Word. Start the morning, finish the day, whatever your routine is, by reading something of God's Word for yourself. I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, God's Word, and you know this probably very well, it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's God's promise in Hebrews about His Word. It's alive, it's active, it's living, it brings life to us. So feed on it for yourself. And don't ever minimize whenever you get the opportunity to sit under preaching. Because you know what the difference is when you hear a podcast or when you're sitting under preaching? There should be a Holy Spirit impartation to you right now through what I'm saying. That happens when you sit under preaching, when you humble yourself, and all of us have to humble ourselves, and we lay aside our opinions, and we lay aside all of our stuff, and for a moment we say, okay, I'm going to listen to this person uh, who's speaking on God, uh, this imperfect person who's speaking on behalf of God to me this morning, and I'm going to say, God, for, through whatever is said, speak to me so that I can grow. That's an impartation that happens. That's why preaching is so wonderful and important. It helps us grow. The Word of God comes and pierces to our soul. It, it divides between what is flesh and what is spirit, and we grow and start learning to hear God's voice. So are you with me? And Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And so for the sake of your soul this year, for the sake of your soul, don't ever compromise gathering with God's people to listen to His Word preached every Sunday. Can I encourage you? I don't want to fight with anyone this year. But can I encourage you, all of you parents, do you know that the statistics are for your child to become a professional sportsman are less than 2%. Okay? That Johnny or Joan, whoever's in your family, is going to become a professional sportsman. Can I encourage you? Why do we put so much emphasis on getting our kids into sports clubs on Sundays when the reality is less than 2% that they're ever going to become a professional sportman? I want to say this to you, 100% they're going to have to live with other people. They're going to have to have a good marriage. They're going to have to parent well. 100% guaranteed they're going to have to learn to get on with difficult people and they're going to have to control their anger and become kind and learn from other people. In God's community, 100% guaranteed. I love sports. I'm a great sports fan. But guys, can we keep perspective on these things this year? Less than 2% chance. As gifted as your kid is. We've got a friend whose son is a professional rugby player. We saw them over the new, the new year. He's a great guy. You know what the, the terror in his life is? He's plowed all these years. But if I get injured... If I get injured, this is always the thing in the back of his mind. I don't want to get injured. Why? Because then his whole, he's on, on the sidelines. Do you hear what I'm saying? No one likes me now. <laughs> Let's keep our perspective. I'm not saying you mustn't, if your kid is a professional sportsman, that's a brilliant thing. Wonderful. But I'm saying for the vast majority of us, it's not going to happen. So what can we do? We can plow other things into our children's lives. 
a love for God, a love for his people, a love for, for, for each other through his word as it transforms us. Amen? Secondly, sacraments. The means of grace that God gives us to practice are baptism and the Lord's Supper. By the water of baptism, God seals us as his own. There's this demonstration that as we die to the old, we are born up into the new. And by the bread and the wine that we break and uh, celebrate every time we break bread and drink wine together, there's, a, there's an affirmation of what God has done in our lives through the power of the cross. And we sang about it this morning. God meets us at the table. He refreshes us. He nourishes us. He heals our souls as we remember his sacrifice for us and the forgiveness that is available to us through the blood of the cross. And that's what we do every time. That's why we celebrate breaking of bread so regularly. I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, there's a means of grace available to you that you need to demonstrate through your life. This first act of obedience that we are baptized when we come to faith. Amen? So if you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you, this year, get baptized. Go through the waters of baptism. That's an act of obedience for, for what God has for your life. This is a means of grace in your life. Uh, thirdly, prayer. Now, prayer is how we communicate with our Father. It's how we, he, we respond to what He's taught us in His Word. And through prayer, we praise and honor Him who's made us, who saved us, sustained us. Through prayer, we confess our shortcomings, our sins, and uh, our need of Him. As we pray, we live out our union with Christ and with others, and the Lord uses those prayers to carry out His sovereign will in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to be prayerful this year. This is a means of grace in your life. Be prayerful. We like to pray in our meetings. That's wonderful. We must pray as we gather together in our meetings. But what about your own life? How much of prayer is part of your daily routine. I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying if we are going to be those that are communing with the Lord, let prayer become a part of our daily practice. You can pray in your car. <laughs> you, can, you can pray as you, as you are commuting to London. What a great opportunity. Half an hour on the train just to kind of spend some time with the Lord speaking to him in a prayerful way so that he can build you up. And so when, when writers and theologians use talk about these um, things of press, the, God's word, and the sacraments, they use this phrase, means of grace. These are means of grace that remind us from the beginning of our lives to the end of our lives that our life in Jesus is all of grace. Our justification, the, the fact that we are saved was by grace. The fact that we are being made into new people is by grace. And one day we will be glorified because of God's grace. So we, we're not transformed by our ability to read God's Word or how well we listen to the preaching or how much we pray or how fervently we pray or how faithfully we take communion. That's not what transforms us. What transforms us is the Spirit's power as He uses those things by God's grace and for His glory. That's what it is. It's about a walk by the Spirit for, for, for God's grace and Christ's glory. So, that's why I say to you, for this new decade, for the new season of this church, all of us need to walk in an old path for this new decade and for this new year. All of us need to say, okay, Lord, whenever the word is preached, I want to open my heart to hear what you say. 
All of us need to come to God's throne in grace in prayer. We need the sign of and the seal of baptism in our lives. We need to join every time the local church gets together in celebrating the Lord's Supper. We need to be part of that. It's a means of grace in our lives. So can I encourage you at the beginning of this new year, beginning of this new decade, not to give in to temptation to rush after that next new thing and instead rest, as Helen encouraged us at the beginning, rest in what God has already given, that he will use those means of grace to complete the work that he's begun in your life. And that's a great promise, that God is going to complete the work that he's begun in all of our lives. And so the that's what I want to point you to at the beginning of this year. And for the next 10 minutes, to remind you of one of the foundations that God has built us on in this church. Now, there are many, many scriptures that I would like to take into the future from the past. Galatians. Oh, you foolish Galatians. You who began in the spirit, have you now gone back to putting your trust in the flesh? I would love to take that with me into the future. Or what about Romans 8.28? All things work together for good for those that are called and love the Lord. Amen? That's become life to me over the last 10 years. All things work together. I want to take that treasure into the new decade with me. Here's another one. I want to spend 10 minutes speaking with you about this. This is one of the treasures we must take into the new decade with us. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Who wants life and peace this decade? This year. Come on, let's set our minds on what brings life and peace. Set our minds on the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is an enemy to God, for it does not submit to God's law. It, indeed, it cannot even submit to His law. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Amen. Now, we've preached a lot about this in this church, and I'm not going to do a whole major preach on it, but just to remind you, because it's a foundation upon which we have built this church and we want to continue to build, that there's an absolute freedom in Jesus. And this freedom does not come by fulfilling rules, by obeying rules in your life and saying, if I do the right thing, God is going to bless me. This freedom comes by gazing into the perfect freedom that is Jesus. And that's what uh, James 
encourages us. It says we, we look into the perfect law of freedom. The perfect law that of, of freedom is Jesus. And as we gaze upon Jesus, we become more and more like him. And by the spirit that is alive in us, we start to live a different life. We start to become be- better husbands, better wives, kinder people more forgiving. Why? Because the Spirit of God, as we gaze into the perfect face of Jesus, who is the perfect one, He brings life to us by His Spirit, and He transforms us from the inside out in a way that the law, Paul says, following rules can never do. All the rules can do is convince you that you need a Savior. That's all that the rules do. They convince you of your own failure that you can't meet that standard by yourself in your own strength and your all power. That's all that the law does, says Paul. And that's why he cries out and he says of himself and his own life in, uh, in uh, Romans seven twenty four, Wretched man that I am. He understands he can't save himself. He understands he can't do all that God's called him to do. Who will deliver me from this body of death, says Paul, the great apostle. And then he cries out, thanks be to God, through Jesus our Lord. He realizes, I can't do this all by myself, through my own strength, by trying to follow the rules and live a righteous life. But Christ has done it all for me. And as I gaze into his beautiful face, he transforms me from the inside. And he makes me more and more like his son. Amen. I want to encourage you this year, this decade. Spend time in your life gazing into the beauty of who Jesus is. Through his word, through fellowship with his saints, through prayer, through the sacraments. Gaze into the beautiful face of Jesus. Let him become more and more precious to you. And I guarantee you, as you do that, you will, something will happen on the inside that you are, your motivation is transformed, that you see other people in a different way. You see yourself in a different way. You see your wife and kids in a different way. And your life begins to transform before your very eyes as you just simply look at who Jesus is. That's why we worship. That's why we sit under preaching. That is our great privilege, Paul says in verse 1. There is no condemnation. That's a great privilege for all of those in, in Christ. That's an unbelievable privilege. It's an beautiful verse that you know when Jesus looks at you right now because you put your faith in him, there's no condemnation for you. None. And the devil can accuse you. You can go through hard times. You can go through difficulties. You can feel like you're being disciplined by God, but He is our refuge. He's our protection. He's, our, he's treating us as sons as he, as he allows us to go through those things. And we don't respond by saying, when we go through difficult times, I don't know what this decade is going gonna, is gonna to hold. It's the 4th of January and already Iran has been bombed. I mean, what's that about? We've only just started the year. I don't know what the decade's going to hold. But I do know this, that when God allows me to go through things that are difficult, it's not that he doesn't love me, it's that he's treating me as a son. And he's saying, Ant, I love you so much that that attitude in your life is going to (laughs) go. And I'm going to do that in your life, whether you cooperate with me or not. And you are going to be transformed into the likeness of my son. So if you won't listen to the voice of my spirit, I'm going to just put up the burner, you know, the Bunsen burner under your bottom, so you start to get a little bit of attention that I'm trying to speak to you. And I found this in my life. Unless the pain of the thing is less than the pain of changing, you don't change. 
Isn't that true? How many can say amen? It's true. I'm sounding like a Pentecostal this morning. But it is true. Unless the pain of the thing in your life is not more than the pain of changing, you will not change. You will stay the same. And sometimes we say, God doesn't love me. If God loved me, why is this thing happening in my life? And perhaps it's because he's been trying to speak for like 10 years and say, Ant, please change that attitude. I haven't quite heard him. So then what does he do? Bunsen burner underneath the bottom. A little bit more pain begin to change. Oh, yes, yes, Lord, you're speaking to me. Begin to get it. Why? Because he loves us so much. But Paul says there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Even when the devil accuses, there is our Savior in heaven, Jesus, the great advocate, the perfect one, the one who's the law of freedom, saying, not guilty. Jack, not guilty. He's my son. I see the blood of Christ of his life. That's the great privilege we have. Secondly, the great, the great um, uh, second great privilege that we have is to walk by the Spirit. And that's what I've been trying to say to you this morning. That's a privilege we have to walk by the Spirit. And we don't do that by the power of trying to live by rules. We do that as we fix our eyes on the perfect one who is Jesus. And so I'd like to finish this morning by just saying this, how do we know if our lives are after the flesh or after the Spirit? Well, verse 5, if you're following in the Scripture, verse 5 says it quite simply. It says, those who live according to the flesh, in other words, according to the sins of the body, have set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, if we set our minds on carnal things, what are carnal things? Worldly prophets, Honor, money, sex, power, accumulating more and more and more stuff. If we've set our minds on those things, then Paul's saying those things are of the flesh, and we are just like carnal people. We are like people that are not saved. That's what he's saying. If that's all that consumes us is to get a bigger house and to make more money and to have a more successful career without love for people or his kingdom or anything, Paul says we behave just like carnal people that don't even know Christ because that's what the world goes after. So Paul says, set your minds on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. And uh, Proverbs 23 puts it this way. It says, a man th- as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That's what it says, isn't it? So where's your focus? So can I ask you, and I don't, I'm not accusing anyone here this morning. Please hear, I'm, I'm not doing that. What do you think on with most pleasure? That's a clue, what your heart is set on. What do you think on with most pleasure? Where do you dwell in your quiet place? What, do you most, what is the most on the altar of your heart? Think about the new year. Think about the next 10 years. Is your mind set on earthly, fleshly, carnal things? Or is your mind set on something of the kingdom? And so Paul says that actually if we put our minds on carnal things, in verse 6, do you notice he says it's certain death. If you're consumed by those things, it's certain spiritual death for your life. And it's death for us because those things ultimately alienate us from God and from his kingdom. And so our souls can be carnal in that sense. We can be miserable, but the spiritually minded person is someone who has wisdom That is from heaven. And the wisdom from heaven comes, as I already said from James, 
is that as we set our minds on the perfect one who's Jesus, who brings freedom to us, and as we gaze on his face, he brings freedom to us, that brings peace in our souls, and that is happiness for us. And so I want to encourage you, where is the control in your life? Where is the seat of influence in your life? What is your mind focusing on all the time? Who's most ascendant in your heart? I can't answer these questions for you, but I can ask them as I've been asking them of myself. You see, as we set our minds on heavenly things, we start to live by the Spirit and not according to our fleshly, carnal nature. So this is the good news. We've got a whole fresh decade ahead of us. We've got a whole fresh year to celebrate. We celebrate 20 years this, this year of God's goodness to us. We've got a whole lot of plans that we're going to talk about in terms of our facility and, and planting other things out of this church, hopefully, as God leads us. And these are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. But let us be remained, rooted and remain in our hearts and our minds with this absolute conviction that there's a freedom in Christ that has been bought for us by the power of Jesus we don't want to go back to living under rules. We want to know the fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit in our lives that enables us to live happy, peaceful, joyful, kind lives. How does that happen? It comes as we set our hearts and our minds on Jesus. And He transforms us from the inside out. So what is your mind set upon? Think about that. And maybe ask the Lord to help you to set some goals that are about heavenly things not just about earthly things. Am I saying it's not good to have a career? No, of course I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's good to have a career and to provide for your family. This is what we must do. But at the same time, what is God speaking to me about his kingdom? What does he want for me this year? What heavenly goals does he have for me? Not just the, 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 the normal goals of, you know, this is my calendar and this is what I want to do. Yeah, all that stuff. But what, what heavenly goals does he have for me? What, what does he want to say to me about the next 10 years of what he wants, where he wants me to be in terms of my spiritual life? And what he wants me to be aiming at for my spiritual life? That I can have, live in an effective and powerful way for him for this next year and this next decade. That's what it means to live by the Spirit, to set our mind on heavenly things so that we're not controlled by the flesh, but we are controlled by the Spirit. Put Jesus on the altar this year in your heart. Put his kingdom there. And I promise you this, if you seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Yes? Just notice, um, I'll finish with this. God doesn't say, seek these things and you will be a millionaire and you will be the most prosperous person on the face of the planet. There's a whole group of Christians that do teach prosperity. They say that if you do these things, it's going to happen. I want to say to you, I don't believe that's the true gospel. God simply says that if you follow him and you love him with all of your heart, he will give you everything that you need for your life. Everything. And he knows what you need, and he knows what I need. And my testimony of my life is this, is that God has given me everything that I need for my life. Do I have the biggest house in St. Albans? No. Do I drive 
the fanciest car in St. Albans? No. But do I have all that I need for my life? Yes. Does this church have all that it needs for its life? Yes. And we're going to trust God for more as well. But we have all that we need. We have a beautiful building. We have a great family of friends. We have worship. We have preaching. We pray for each other. We see people healed and, and we see people saved. This is wonderful. These are wonderful, wonderful blessings that we have. As we seek God's kingdom first, he will give us all that we need. That is my encouragement to you for this decade. Seek his kingdom. Walk the old path. Set your heart after the things of, the, of heaven, not after carnal things. And you will have all that you need for your life and for godliness. Everyone says? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Can I just pray? And I finished purposefully a little bit early because it is uh, the new year. And I'm sure we haven't seen each other for the last couple of weeks. So let's spend some time over coffee. I want to invite you, if you're visiting, there's a, oh, we didn't give out the coffee things. We did? Thank you, Mandy. Okay, so let's, um, let's just pray. And then we're going to have some time just to fellowship together and encourage one another. Father, we want to thank you for this new decade. We want to thank you for this new year. Thank you for the good things that you've done for us over the last 20 years. Help us, Lord, as we go forward to focus on the right things for this new year. Help us to focus on the right things for this new decade. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing new things with us. But at the same time, we want to thank you, Lord, that you've got some things that you've always made available to us that we can enjoy, that are a means of grace in our lives. So we thank you for church. We thank you for community. We thank, thank you for your word. We thank you for the sacraments. We thank you for baptism. We thank you for breaking of bread. We thank you that we have the privilege of praying for each other and praying for the world. Thank you for these things that are means of grace. And Lord, I pray that we would use those to, to grow in you this year. And thank you too for those prophetic utterances that you give where you say, now I'm doing this. And we hear your spirit and you break open a whole new thing for us. We want to thank you for that as well. But, Lord, we pray that we would be faithful, that we truly would be light to the world this year as we set our hearts and our minds on heavenly things and not just on the carnal that we see around us all the time, not just on the world. Lord, help us to live as you want us to live, that we might live by your Spirit for you and be a light to our friends and our family and to this nation. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.